Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon and welcome to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO. Uh, We're coming to you live on this Tuesday, February 20th, 2018, from the studios of KFUO here at the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I'm your host for this program, Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. If you want to find out more about what's happening there, go to our website, stmatthewbt.org. Today we'll be talking about, uh, mainly about the uh, practice of confession. We'll have a little recap on last week's topic on the Holy Supper, but we're going to mostly go into the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 11, on confession. And we welcome your comments or questions during our program today. We have a toll-free number all across North America. That toll-free number is 800-730-2727. Again, 800-730-2727. And locally here in rainy St. Louis, our number is area code 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. And you can also email us your comments or questions during this program That email address is kfuo at kfuo.org. Well, today I don't know if we've got enough uh, oxygen in this room with all the uh, air that will be heated up with three hosts, three hosts at at one program, all three of these gentlemen in the studio today. We have all hosted programs here on KFUO, and the other two gentlemen in the studio next to me are Randy Asbury and Sean Smith, both of them familiar voices here on KFUO. Welcome, gentlemen. Are you calling us bags of hot air? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I resemble that remark. (laughs) Yeah, you resemble that remark. So uh, it's kind of a necessary thing to fill the air, isn't it, when you're hosting a program? You have to be able to speak... uh, and fill the time. Well, we hope we have something beneficial to say, yes. too. Some good I content. Talking about yeah. confession, yesterday I was on uh, guest hosting by Strong Word, and we were covering Second Kings 9, and I thought, whoa, are we going to be able to get this whole chapter in during the hour? Well, we're coming up on eight, seven minutes before the, to- before the end of the program, and we had covered the chapter. So then we kind of... But it was useful stuff that we, we did. So welcome, welcome, gentlemen. First of all, Randy Asbury, you are the pastor of? Hope Lutheran Church in South St. Louis in the city. Yes, so yes. and where can people find out more about what's happening at Hope? HopeLutheranSTL.org. HopeLutheranSTL.org. And then Sean Smith, who kind of got his start on this program and then was elevated to a uh, regular when Jonathan Fisk hosts it, and sometimes Sean hosts it as well. Welcome, Sean. Great to be here as always. And where are you, Pastor? I am pastor of a dual parish in southern Illinois, St. Paul's in Wine Hill outside of Steelville, and then Emmanuel West Point outside of Campbell Hill. 
Very good, very good. So, uh, Sean, I especially wanted you uh, here as a guest today because uh, last week you and Fisk and Ill were talking about Apology Article 10 on the Holy Supper, and I, I listened to the program when you read the whole article, which was not that long, and then at the end of the program you said, well, we quite quite haven't finished talking about this. We'll pick it up next week. So uh, what did you want to pick up? Now, let's just yeah. talk about briefly what was the point in Article 10 of the Apology. Well, they were mainly uh, reaffirming the point that uh, we, we do believe in the real presence of the Lord's Supper. And What do you mean condemn, by that term? Uh, that Christ is truly present in his body and his blood and with and under the bread and the wine. All right. And uh, that they were, um, and we talked a, at length about it, so go check out the on-demand thing, uh, 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 on-demand archive, not thing, archive uh, <laughs> from last week. And uh, uh, we talked at length about how uh, at that time they're really showing some Solidarity, solidarity with the church of the true presence and not so concerned um, with the areas that we do differ in terms of transubstantiation, yeah. that doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, but they wanted to reaffirm that, you know, they don't believe as, say, the Anabaptists and things do uh, that, deny the real, that yeah, yeah, deny the real presence. And um, we had several call-ins uh, last week, which was great, um, and we were interacting on this point, and then Pastor Fisk brought up a point uh, from uh, Francis Pieper, uh, his Christian dogmatics book, and um, didn't have it in front of us, and we were trying to discuss that, and we ran out of time, and then I forgot what week it was, and yeah. so I said, we'll continue this discussion next week, and and uh, uh, then it's it, it was your show this week. So thanks for having me back on. But uh, um, essentially, not to belabor that point, uh, but I do think it's helpful to continue that discussion. Uh, what uh, Jonathan Fisk was referencing, I'll just read very briefly sure, from Peeper right here. It says, from the fact that the only that only the institution of Christ makes an observance his supper it furthermore follows that the Romanists and the Reform do not have the sacrament instituted by Christ inasmuch as they perform a rite which lacks the institution of Christ. And then later on, this is in volume three, by the way, on page 370 and 371. Later on, it says, though they may retain the sound of the words, so too the Reformed do not administer the Supper of Christ because they publicly renounce the meaning of Christ's words of institution. Mm -hmm. And so where I had left it, and we were running right up against the time, and so we didn't really get to talk about this, where I had left this was um, I had answered Pastor Fist's point, which is that they don't have the Supper um, by saying, well, they do and they don't, because the the thing that we say as Lutherans makes the supper is the word of Christ. And so here, even when the he says, this is my yeah, body, this is my blood. Exactly. And that word is effective. And so much so that even in our confessions, we say that, you know, an unbeliever can administer the supper and it really is the supper. Mm -hmm. Um, what Peeper's point here is, is when you're gathered together, and this is why closed communion and all these issues play in, uh, when you gather together in a community that publicly denies that there is the real presence there, and you get all sorts of strange practices, like the reform, like to break the the host in front mm -hmm. of the congregation, in essence, to say, look, there's no Jesus in here, it's just bread. Um, you know, they're publicly denying the real presence there. And so Pieper is saying, in, in accord with our confessions, and he cites the formula and so forth, where we say they, they don't have the supper because they, they're strictly saying we're not celebrating the supper as Christ instituted it. Uh, how that plays out into the minutia, the detail, I think is a very long conversation that we could talk for yeah. ages at, which we don't want to do. Let me just try to get at the point yeah. here then. Uh, so 
some churches that deny in their teaching, they will not they will not say that Christ's body and blood is what you're receiving in your mouth, um, that it just represents it. I've even visited a church once where the act the the pastor even said this represents Christ. He even changed the word, mm-hmm. uh, but also where they may say the word this is my body they don't really what they what they mean by is is represents now um a couple of years ago i visited a so-called vineyard church just i did not commune there but i was visiting with a friend and uh it was even worse than that they had no words of institution at all and uh the the speaker just said now this is an intimate time with jesus and they had no words of institution at all uh just that it's an intimate time with jesus and then some Lay people came out holding uh, some wafers and individual cups, and people just came up, and that was it. I mean, it was really almost blasphemous. So um, the point, but the positive point, since this article was approved, is that both the Roman Church and the Greek Orthodox Church, Melanchthon is at least uh, noting, they at least believe that it's Christ's body and blood truly present. The problem we'd have with Rome would be, besides transubstantiation, a philosophical point, is that they turn the arrows upside down and make it not primarily a sacrament, but our sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, Randy, you want to add anything on this? Well, I I think that's a key point. Um, What the uh, apology is saying is, uh, we're with the Roman Church and the Greek Church on the matter of of what is there, who is there, Jesus yeah. and His body and blood. We can differ on these other points, but we can acknowledge and, and admit that we are teaching the same things. The Roman Church does have the body and blood of Christ. They might be misusing it, saying it's a sacrifice. The Greek Church has the body and blood of Christ, uh, but the, we differ in, in other articles of the faith as well, which we really yeah. don't have time we to get into here. Into that but today, but that, that's the focus of uh, Article Ten in both the Augsburg Confession and the Apology, it is the body and blood of Christ. Right. Don't mix Fair us enough, up with period, the, yeah. done, that's the point. Don't mix us up with the Zwinglians who, who, that's right. who uh, crassly deny that it is the body and blood of Christ. Yeah, and so, if I could just kind of wrap it up, too, and, and this is where last week what I tried to bring it to was, I, I, I think it's perhaps maybe the wrong question to ask, do they have the supper or not? Because ultimately, I don't know that I can actually judge that. Uh, but what we can judge is by your confession of what you're practicing. And here you can certainly go to 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, which is exactly what St. Paul is concerned with with the mm-hmm. Corinthian church. By what you're confessing and what you're doing here isn't what Christ instituted. So let me remind you again what he did institute and what we rightly believe. And let's be faithful there. I tell people the big two big things about the sacrament is that is that really is necessary in our church is that it is the true body and blood of Christ that you're receiving and that is for the forgiveness of sins. And most American churches deny both of those points, that it, they don't believe it is the body and blood of Christ, and they don't believe that it actually confers the forgiveness of sins. So both the nature and the benefit, uh, if you go to a non... I've never heard of a non-denom church that actually teaches explicitly this is the body and blood of christ and it confers the forgiveness of sins they all even though they call themselves non-denominational they always take the zwinglian or calvinist position or they just punt on the whole thing altogether and say do with it as you wish 
Which so, is really right. quite an unhelpful practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's our little recap and review of Article 10. And now we're going to move into Article 11 on confession. Now, with this title, Confession, uh, Randy, uh, what type of confession are they talking about here? Well, uh, I think we go back to the Augsburg Confession itself, Article 11, where they explicitly talk about private, private confession. confession and absolution. They use the term private absolution, but yeah. to have absolution, well, it might, might be good to confess something yeah. first, right, to be forgiven of. But it's specifically private. So when you go to your pastor, confess your sins, and hear your pastor give the uh, absolution or the forgiveness, um, as Luther says in, in the small catechism, from the pastor as from God himself. That's what we're talking about. And even in the large catechism, Luther distinguishes three kinds of confession. So we can recognize them, right? Mm-hmm. He says there's confession before God alone, like we do in the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer. There's confession before the neighbor alone, like when my neighbor sins against me. And then there's confession, Luther calls it before a brother. Well, he refers to the brother as the pastor, right? Yeah. What we're talking about, talking about here in Article uh, 11. And it's also interesting to note, in back in the Augsburg Confession, they really made three main points in a tiny little article. Uh, one, that we teach that private, con- or private absolution should be retained in the churches. And another point is it should not be allowed to fall into disuse. And the third point is listing sins is not necessary for confession. Yeah, let, so, in, so kind of these three points yes. that they put out there in the Augsburg Confession, then the uh, Roman Church came back with, with uh, the confutation, and then Melanchthon writes the Apology, and what does he say at the beginning of this article in the Apology? Uh, they agree. Yeah. They approve this. <laughs> yeah, that we retain private confession. In fact, you, you recall, uh, by the way, we're using the word confession here without even noticing it in two different, it's really the same idea, but in two different external entailments. You know, the, Aug, the Augsburg <laughs> confession, meaning confessing our faith, and then private confession, confessing our sins. So to confess is to same say, uh, so when we confess our faith, as in the creeds and confessions, we're agreeing with what God has revealed to us in the scriptures. And when we confess our sins, we're same saying what God says about our sins, that we are sinners, that these things are sin, and uh, and so forth. So uh, it's the, the root idea is to same say together with God, whether we're talking about confessing the faith or confessing our sins. Now... Uh, you mentioned the Augsburg Confession, which this apology is a is a uh, going back to, and Article Eleven is very brief, just a couple of sentences. I'll read it here. So this is what they're responding to: Our churches teach that private absolution should be retained in the churches, although listing all sins is not necessary for confession. For according to the Psalm, it is impossible. Who can discern his errors? Psalm 19, verse 12. And so then the Roman confutation came back and said, okay, this is all right. You're retaining private confession. Um, But they add a little correction to that. So here in Article 11, uh, Melanchthon takes this up under confession. Pastor Smith, private confession? Isn't that too Catholic? 
<laughs> Isn't that what your people in the in your church think? Are you are you asking me because I'm commonly called a closet Catholic? Is that, <laughs> no, I, I think don't, uh, don't don't you find that a lot of Lutherans, lifelong Lutherans, have that impression that we don't even do private confession? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how often in our Lutheran churches, when you do something that actually belongs to the church Catholic, the universal Christian church, yeah. as we have always confessed and believed, um, you kind of, you know, well, we don't do that as Lutherans. And, and it's like, well, actually we do. We didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We got rid of the abuses of it. Yeah. And so this is what happens when it comes to confession, is that we got rid of the abuses of it. And they're going to nail one of these right, right away in the first paragraph here um, of kind of the... The, the listing of all the sins and things yeah. of that nature and the, and the command that you have to go to it. Whereas we say, no, this is a good Christian practice that is very beneficial for you. Uh, make use of it. And when you realize the beauty of it, I, I think I was actually on the show when we were going through the large catechism and we had uh, Luther's brief exhortation brief to go exhortation. to confession. And uh, we talked about this then where, you know, Luther beautifully writes in there. He's like, if you realize how beautiful this is, you would beat down the door of your pastor and yeah. demand, hear my sins and absolve me, you know? Uh, but uh, uh, so we we definitely didn't get rid of the practice. We got rid of the abuses, and unfortunately, it's fallen fallen into disuse in our congregations. Yes. And I think uh, I, I think it's not been to our benefit. It, it has not. Yes, Randy, you want to add something on that about it being too Catholic, or the people think that we got rid of it in the? Oh, absolutely! Church. How much time do we have on that one? <laughs> um, go, go. Yeah, I, I think that's a. a kind of a, a red herring of sorts that seems to be a uniquely american thing that we object to something just because the catholics do it we have this anti-catholic uh sentiment woven into our our national history national identity and so we carry that into our lutheran congregations and we say oh we can't do that because we can't make the catholics sign of the cross we can't, we can't make the sign the of the cross sacrament every week yeah, we can't yeah. have chanting but but then i'm gonna i'm gonna counter with this you know what those Catholics read the Bible in church on Sunday, too. Should we not read the Bible in church on Sunday just because the Catholics do that? No, that's a silly argument. Yeah. And, and our first Missouri Synod president, C.F.W. Walther, had several things to say about that. No, we don't do things just to be different from the Catholics. Uh, we do it because it's faithful to God's Word. It, it's faithful to the confessions uh, and all that kind of thing. So... Um, when it comes to confession itself, uh, as Sean mentioned before, all we did is get rid of the abuses, yeah. the requirement you thou shalt go so many times a year and thou shalt confess every last sin. That's what mm -hmm. we got rid of. But we kept confession. And in fact, if if uh, people want to quibble with this and say, well, where else is that? OK, I've never read the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Go check out your small catechism. It's right there, right yeah. between baptism and the Lord's Supper, where Martin Luther himself says, what is confession? Confession has two parts. First, that we confess our sins, and second, that we receive absolution. That is forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, not doubting, but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Yeah. I mean, it's right there. And what I think is really quite interesting, too, is that if you see here in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession alone, just the last few articles with baptism, the Lord's Supper, and then here with confession, we are more concerned with looking like the Reformed or the Zwinglians, the Anabaptists, than we are with looking too Catholic. We're, we're actually showing our solidarity and condemning what the others are doing. And I, and I wonder why in American Lutheranism we're not concerned with, I mean... 
personally, I'm more concerned with that as I see it in my own parishioners and even in my own upbringing and so forth. It's like, when are we going to stop worrying about being too Catholic and start worrying about being too reformed or non-denominational or Zwinglian or things? In in fact, I I think we need to embrace being Catholic, properly understood, in the best sense, sense, because what, what the Greek word means is according to the whole, yeah. the whole of Christendom, you know, as, as we've practiced and, and taught and lived through the centuries. And so that's what leads me to say something like, well, we Lutherans are the real Catholics anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been a perennial problem for Lutherans in the United States. Uh, if you've studied the history of uh, the 19th century, there was a fellow named Samuel Simon Schmucker who... Uh, uh, he took not, the, not the jelly people, right? No, no, no. Okay. But he took the liberties to <laughs> the Gaul to uh, revise the Augsburg Confession because he thought the things like uh, auricular confession, uh, your priest hearing your confession was too Catholic and, and uh, about the real presence in the sacrament and so forth, this American Lutheranism. Fortunately, it, uh, it did not, his definite platform was not accepted, but that's been the tension for uh, Lutherans in America because we don't want to look too Catholic. It doesn't fit in with, with, our, uh, with our neighbors, I guess. And I might even want to clear up, I, I, I'm not even too worried about looking too Catholic or too Reformed or Zwingli. I just want to look really Lutheran. Very good. And uh, let's and, dig and, into that. Yes, let's do that. All right. Um, we're going to come across three big problems that the Lutherans reformed with uh, private confession. And uh, this will come up. I don't want to steal our thunder too early here yet. But let me read it. We'll read these a paragraph at a time. We're in Article 11 of the Apology. All right. um, Paragraph 58. Article 11 is approved, but they add a correction in reference to confession. They say that the regulation called omnis utriusque be observed and annual confession be made. They also say that although all sins cannot be named, they should be recalled with diligence. Those that can be recalled should be specified. We will speak at greater length about this entire article after a while, while when we will explain our entire uh, opinion about repentance. All right. So the Roman Church said, okay, you believe you retain private confession, fine, but you need to add this regulation called omnis utriusque. And uh, having had some Latin, I could figure that out, but I didn't know what it was. You know, it means like, uh, it actually is from a phrase called omnis utriusque sexus fidelis, uh, which would be translated every faithful one, omnis fidelis, uh, and uh, of either sex. That's what it means. And it's uh, uh, the beginning of a uh, decree from the Fourth Lateran Council in the year 1215. I don't know, did either of you guys look that up? Yes, I did. It's, okay. it's actually actually canon 21 in that uh which we're referencing and and this isn't all that strange to us either uh you you say it comes from the first few words we do this with hymn titles right we take the first few words and that becomes the title but uh the basic summary of this canon that you were just referencing there's it, it commands 
that every Christian who has reached the age of reason or discretion, which is an interesting thing that Catholics actually have this much like a lot of your uh, Zwinglians might have as well. But uh, when they reach this age of reason or discretion, they are to confess all his or her sins to their own parish priest at least once a year and then receive the Eucharist at least at Easter. And so it's this command, again, that you have to confess all your sins. Yeah, you have to list them all at least once a year and you have to receive the supper. And he also adds, and that also added, an endeavor according to his strength to fulfill the penance enjoined unto him. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the the relevant uh, point here, the salient point, is this uh, demand that you have to go to confession at least once a year. Uh, And then what about this... uh, Naming of sins, Pastor Asbury. (laughs) I get a kick out of this. It says, um, they also say that although all sins cannot be named, they should be recalled with diligence. Uh, What is that? We we recognize you cannot confess all sins or name them, but go ahead and try anyway. And be specific about it. And be specific about it. Uh, So maybe there was a glimmer of hope they were getting it. Well, maybe we can't get all of them, but they still, the, the the Roman church, still wanted to say, no, you better do a darn good job of getting every last one that you can remember in there. Right? So again, the, the hand of the law coming on there. Pastor Asbury, I'm going to visit you for a confession here after the show, and uh, we'll be there. You better confess every yeah, last we'll, we'll one. We'll be there at least until this time next week. So, <laughs> okay. yeah. We'll get more into the prepared. enumeration <laughs> of sins later in this article, but these are the first two problems that Melanchthon mentions, which is that it's a mandatory annual confession of sins, and that the enumeration of specific sins is required. We'll come back to this after our break. You're listening to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m., for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. What an unspeakable blessing to be able to open the scriptures together every single day and spend time listening, pondering, and proclaiming what they unfailingly reveal, God's great love for you and me in Jesus. Thy strong word, weekday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Underwritten by Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. As the torch was lit at the 1992 Winter Olympic Games in Albertville, France, people questioned men's figure skater Paul Wiley's spot on the U.S. team. 
But in that 16th Olympic Winter Games, he took home the silver in the men's figure skating. Paul Wiley to receive his silver medal. Wiley first competed in the Winter Olympics in Calgary, Canada in 1988. But a mishap early in his program ended his hope for a medal. But he said that two verses from the Bible flashed through his mind, helping him continue. Psalm 37, 24, the righteous shall fall, but shall not be utterly cast down. And Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Engage with the Bible with this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. We are back on Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO. Today we're in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 11 on confession, meaning private confession. And uh, I'm your host for today. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. And with me in the studio, two familiar voices, uh, Randy Asbury and Sean Smith. So let's get back into it here. And by the way, if you want to bring in your calls or uh, questions, comments, our toll-free number is 800-730-2727. And locally here in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Our email address, kfuo at kfuo.org. All right, gentlemen, let's go on to paragraph 59. It is well known that we have made clear and praised the benefit of absolution and the power of the keys. Many troubled consciences have derived comfort from our teaching. They have been comforted after they heard that it is God's command, no, rather the very voice of the gospel, that we should believe the absolution and regard it as certain that the forgiveness of sins is freely granted to us for Christ's sake. We should believe that through this faith we are truly reconciled to God, this belief has encouraged many godly minds and, in the beginning, brought Luther the highest praise from all good people. This belief shows consciences sure and firm comfort. Previously, the entire power of absolution had been kept under wraps by teachings about works. For the learned persons and monks taught nothing about faith and free forgiveness. Pastor Asbury, what is the benefit of absolution here that... Melanchthon is extolling. Yeah, he, he's talking about, uh, we keep this because of the benefit. It's a good thing. It's not a torture. It's not a punishment. It's not uh, go to your pastor and get some penance and say five Hail Marys and three Our Fathers and call me in the morning sort of thing. There's something unique to it. It's benefits. I'll turn to uh, Luther in his uh, exhortation to go to confession from the Lord's Catechism. Uh, I mean, we can talk about the forgiveness like we have. Your, your sins are are, are lifted from you. They are given to Christ. Talk about this word and, absolution. He's uh, using the word absolution here. Uh, I mean, he could say confession, but he's highlighting the absolution. Yeah, the absolution. I'm going to say it this way. The absolution is what is commanded by our Lord Jesus. Look at John chapter 20. Uh, we call it the office of the keys. We can call, mm -hmm. also call it holy absolution, where Jesus tells his uh, apostles, and then also carries on into the church, especially the office of the ministry. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do, do not with, 
If you do not forgive them or if you withhold them, another translation, they are withheld, right? And, and so that's the office of the keys is to give out that forgiveness. That's the absolution, absolving. Uh, so it's like uh, if you're uh, weighed down on the with your sins yeah. to, to remove them, that burden off of you. Remove the burden off of you. We can also play with that word a little bit. Uh, the solution of absolution, it dissolves the sins away, mm-hmm. it washes them away. Here's another benefit that uh, Luther highlights in his uh, bit from the large catechism. If you are poor and miserable, then go to confession and make use of its healing medicine. He who feels his misery and need will no doubt develop such a longing for it that he will run toward it with joy. And then a little bit later, so we teach what a splendid, precious, and comforting thing confession is. Furthermore, we strongly urge people not to despise a blessing that in view of our great need is so priceless. Uh, so no, notice the the pricelessness of it, the healing medicine of it. This is the benefit. You are restored in your relationship with God. That sin is forgiven you. And I don't know about you guys or anybody else listening, but I have lots of sins, I'll confess. And some I know, some I don't. Uh, and some, uh, and even sometimes when people sin against me, some of those things get stuck in my head and, and they keep running over and over and over again like a, a YouTube video on automatic replay or something. Mm-hmm. And I need to be freed from that. I need to be healed from that. I need uh, my conscience to be uh, uh, brought to peace and, and healed from that. That's what absolution does. It's a cleansing. It's a removing of guilt and yes. shame and mm-hmm. sin. Now, um, this paragraph, Pastor Smith... Uh, brings up a third problem with the Roman practice of penance. We've already mentioned the first two in the previous paragraph, this mandatory annual confession and then the enumeration of sins. But here, when he talks about that the uh, they taught nothing about faith and free forgiveness, uh, previously the entire power of absolution had been kept under wraps by teachings about works. How did that play into the medieval practice of penance? Uh, that was the third thing that the Lutherans reformed. Well, so when you would go to confession at that time, and even still in in Roman Catholicism to this day, um, you don't just confess your sins and receive the free absolution as we would do so in our Lutheran churches, according to the command of Christ, which you just beautifully laid out there, Pastor Asbury. Um, But you would be told you're forgiven, but you have to to five Hail Marys, to our fathers, and serve your neighbor in a soup kitchen or something yeah. like that. And so this penance, these works that you had to do, go see relics or you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like this, were attached to the forgiveness. And that's that's not a free forgiveness. Then then yeah, it's then it's incumbent. Yeah, it's it's incumbent upon my work to earn this. Now these may Otherwise, be good works, like. Yeah. like praying more devoutly or serving your neighbor and so forth. But it gave the impression, at least, that you were kind of earning your forgiveness. Yes, and that's yes. the problem. Yeah, and, and it actually increases the burden on the conscience. And and we see this especially in Luther's life, that he was so burdened by this, he never heard the free absolution uh, of his sins, that he would just go at painstaking lengths to, to try and... Um, uh, confess all of his sins and to do everything that he could. And it created a lot of anger towards God um, as, as a result of this. And and that 
I, I think probably what spurred on the Reformation just about more than anything is that when he found that gospel, it was just so freeing and yeah. so beautiful. He's like, look, I want everybody to know how I feel right now, uh, that my sins are forgiven for Christ's sake, and I don't have to do anything to earn it. The law says do this, and it is never done. The gospel says believe this, and it is already done. Yeah. Paraphrasing Luther and the Heidelberg Disputation. Well, and I think Go for ahead. that reason, we want to highlight, I like to highlight this this phrase here, the very voice of the gospel. Yes. When I go to my pastor and confess my sins, and yes, I have a father confessor, when he speaks the absolution, that's the very voice of the gospel. That's Jesus speaking, saying, your sins are forgiven. Those specific sins. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing. It's Into a free thing. Into my ears. Into my ears, yeah. For that specific thing I did or said. That's lifted from me. Uh, my conscience can be healed uh, uh, and all that good stuff, all those benefits there. The voice of the gospel, that's what this is really all about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I come to love my pastor, my father, confessor, as you say, all the more because I hear that sweet, sweet gospel yes. spoken through mm-hmm. him. I mean, it's great that we have lots of listeners that listen here to KFUO Radio, and we're glad to provide this great teaching and so forth. But nothing can... Uh, supplant the beauty of the gift that God gives you in a pastor to serve you, to speak this gospel directly to you. Right, and right. and this key line here, many troubled consciences have derived comfort from our teaching. I, I, I know that, I feel that when I confess my sins and receive that absolution. And I think it's interesting that in this discussion of kind of um, the, the throwing out of practices because they seem too Catholic and so forth, I think it's too, uh, it, it doesn't benefit us because You see, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, fast uh, practices like fasting would also fit in with this. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, so we don't do that in American Christianity anymore, but we we pay lots of money to diet programs. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're trying to earn this work that way. Right. Uh, Same thing. But to a. A, a larger extent, I think, when it comes to confession, people don't make use of this beautiful gift that you don't even have to pay for. Your pastor will gladly hear this and pronounce the absolution to you, but they'll spend lots of money to go to counselors yeah. and psychologists and things like that. And every time, you know, I'll, I'll see them and I'll say, you know, why don't you consider coming to your pastor and let's let's go through confession. And I bet you your your conscience will be at much more ease. And and I've seen this even transition in my own life as I had gone to counselors and, and they still have their role. They still have their mm-hmm. benefit within society and so forth. Um, but, uh, you know, just to hear that free absolution, the forgiveness, it really does put the conscience at ease and you don't have to pay for it. And mm-hmm. I think that we would see a lot, uh, a, a lot more benefit in our Christians living uh, their lives and faithfulness uh, to God to use the gifts that he has given given them. So we we retain private confession, but the question is, do our people use it? And uh, listen to paragraph 60 now. Concerning the time, certainly most most people in our churches frequently use the sacraments, absolution and the Lord's Supper during the year. Those who teach about the worth and fruit of the sacraments speak in a way that invites the people to use the sacraments frequently. There are many writings by our theologians about this subject that the adversaries, if they are good men, will undoubtedly approve and praise. When I when I read this paragraph, I was struck by this when he says most people in our churches frequently use the sacraments, absolution of the Lord's Supper. What do you observe in our Lutheran churches? Uh, do they do they do our people frequently use the sacraments of absolution and the Lord's Supper? 
take take it either one of you first. I'll, I'll take it. I, I think increasingly in, say, the last 20, 30 years, we've seen more of our, our uh, good Lutheran people uh, in congregations taking use, uh, making use of the Lord's Supper. Yes. More and more congregations getting back to the original and historic practice of every Sunday communion every week. On the confession absolution side, it's quite the opposite. Not a whole lot of people. I see a a generation of pastors, uh, myself, yourself, and and yourself, Pastor Smith included, teaching it and promoting it. We may never see the fruits of our teaching, but um, saying, hey, this is absolution. Let me introduce you yeah, uh, yeah. and sort of thing. And here's how it works. So I think the more we can teach it, the more people will start to come back to practicing it. Uh, but but there's not a whole lot there. I mean, I'll be honest with you. My, my doors are not being beaten down for Ash Wednesday or the season of Lent saying, Pastor, please hear my confession. Yeah. Right. Uh, and they probably should be. Yeah. I would agree, Randy, uh, in my ministry, and we're from the same class of the same year, um, I dated to about 1995. There was a a resolution at the LCMS convention commending every Sunday communion. And I think from about the mid-90s, we've seen an increase in uh, churches offering Holy Communion every Sunday. I mean, I think we've all have, have seen that in the last, as you say, 20 to 30 years. But I agree, it's rare that somebody comes for private confession. When I've set times for, especially during Lent, you know, I'll be in the in the in the study or the office from this time to this time. I'm usually sitting there alone. Right, I've done rare. that too. Pastor Smith, any comments on that? Yeah, uh, in a former ministry, I did college ministry, and there I kind of you know I, I was working with college students, and they kind of stumbled into confession a few times with me, mm-hmm. and they learned how beautiful a practice it is that way, and then they started talking about it, and then others wanted to make use of it as well. And so I think you're right. It, it comes from a place of we, we just have to teach these things and remind uh, of what Scripture clearly gives us and what Christ gives us and these wonderful gifts for the church, and you'll see a return to it. I, I think if you look historically, you see some of the reasons why some of these practices have fallen into more irregular use than maybe mm-hmm. they should have been in us and our churches. And they're understandable reasons. But again, uh, as someone uh, that we all know and love uh, likes to say, uh, Dr. Norman Nagel, he likes to say the gospel gifts of God are always more right. You know, yeah. and this, this is a, a great phrase to remember, you know, um, sometimes we've, come to look like some other churches in American Christianity um, that uh, just hang everything on the sermon. And as long as I got my sermon, I'm good. Well, of course, God's word is proclaimed to you there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, you receive the forgiveness of sins in the Lord's Supper. And of course, we have corporate confession and absolution at the beginning of our divine services. Yeah. But the gospel gifts are always more to you, if, especially when it comes to specific sins Where that you're, you're troubled really troubled by, by them. Yeah. Go beat your pastor's door down and say, <laughs> set my mind at ease, pronounce the absolution to me. Um, and uh, and that's where I say, like with the college ministry, they they would come in troubled by something and they didn't realize they were coming in for confession. But I'd eventually lead them to that. And then I'd say, by the way, you just did confession and let me absolve you of your sins. And when they find out what a beautiful practice is, yeah. they'll, they'll use it more. And, and how many young children do you know of? who will absolutely refuse a gift on their birthday or at Christmas. No, 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 no. I had one gift. I don't want 10 more. That does not happen, does it? 
And you just talked about the gifts, receiving the gospel being preached, the absolution, in, public absolution in the service, uh, baptism, the Lord's Supper. Well, here's another gift that Jesus gives us. Why not receive it and say, yes, that's for me. I want it. Yeah. yeah. I, there's another practice I use, too, where when I have confirmands, because, again, if we can teach them and then they grow up expecting these things, they'll make use of it more often. But my confirmands, I have them come in and I lead them in how to do confession how and i actually have them make confession right there in my office and we'll lead through this as part of my examination of them leading to the reception of the lord's supper um but uh that that's a part of the whole um uh catechumen instruction that i i have with them and so they learn to appreciate and know that this is a part of the church this is a gift that christ has given us and it's to my benefit to make use of it by the way uh, folks if you have a hymnal the lutheran service book there is a handy order of individual confession um, in the hymnal that I've used with prisoners who come in, and it really it, it helps them with getting the words out of their mouth because they're not used to it. And if you have a Lutheran service book, you can find it on pages 292, 293, and uh, there's a little format there and then a sort of an ellipsis dot, dot, dot. What troubles me particularly is that dot, dot, dot. So you've kind of already got them speaking about confessing their sins in a general way. And then uh, there's this opportunity then when they are really troubled by a particular sin, which usually if they're coming to you, that's what they're ready to do. Uh, And it says here in the rubrics, if you wish to confess specific sins that trouble you, just continue as, as follows or Confess whatever you have done against the commandments of God according to your own place in life. You know, like, uh, how have you not fulfilled your vocation as a father or husband or employer or whatever? And then, uh, yeah. So, and if you can't even do that, at least make a general confession of your sins. So there are resources here. I noticed we have a uh, question that's come in from one of our listeners. Let me read it and see what our pastors have to say about that. If you have a repetitive sin, shameful in the eyes of society, should you do one-on-one private confession? If the confessing one feels, if the confessing one feels remorse, but is unable to cease committing the sin and, quote, not getting the victory over the sin, should they just rely on public confession absolution and call that sufficient? Thanks for your great work responses well first thing that jumps out at me they they mention in their uh in the eyes of society i i want to reframe that and say is it in the eyes of god in the eyes of that god. this is a sin because even our society doesn't view things that are sinful that the, god the, our sees society as right now is celebrating right. things that god right. says is shameful right um so um but but with that in mind i i think you know this is the struggle and the tension that we should desire to amend our sinful life, not because we have to, but because Christ has already died for this. He has already granted forgiveness. And so we want to be intentional about that. But as far as, you know, what what means you use to continue to wage war against this struggle that's going on within you, um, I would say make use of multiple means. The gospel gifts are always more. 
of course, continue to be in the divine service, continue to use corporate confession, absolution, approach the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Now, I would say if you have no uh, desire to amend your sinful life, then as Lutherans and our based on our confessions and the teaching of the small catechism, that would be a place where we might consider not to make uh, participate in the Lord's Supper because we have no desire. Hopefully to, you're struggling right. with this. Yes. As long as you're struggling with it, I, I would say you're, you're there. Um, but uh, if you have no desire, perhaps not that. Um, but yeah, continue to see your pastor, continue to work with him and, and living our sanctified. That is how we live in a holy way lives. Um, there's tools that he can give you and work with you on to, to, to continue to wage this battle, but I would never limit myself. And I do not limit myself in my personal life, uh, even apart from being a pastor to just one means in which to wage war against the devil and his temptations. I'm going to use all the gifts that God gives to us, uh, for that means. And and on that note, I I would add this also pray, right? Uh, Pray, pray, Lord, take this sin from me, uh, strengthen me against the temptation. You know, if it's a, a repeated sin as, as the, uh, um, listener uh, listed there, um, you know, we, we need that help. Lord, take this away from me and, you know, keep praying. I'm, I'm thinking of the, the man who prayed to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, right? Yeah. That's really what we're doing in, in this case as well. Lord, I'm a sinner. Help, help me wrestle with this sin, right? Uh, but I, I'd also like to touch on the whole uh, repeated sin thing, because I get to ask that a lot. Pastor, what if I keep committing the same sin? Well, then keep going back to confession, right. keep confessing it. Uh, keep being absolved of it, because what is the healing medicine? Not your own strength, not your own uh, march to vi- victory over it, uh, but it's the forgiveness. It's Christ's words, and that's what's going to strengthen your faith, and that's what's going to strengthen your life, and that's what's going to help you fight that temptation down the road. Maybe not perfectly the next time. It might take 10 years, 20 years, the mm-hmm. rest of your life. Who knows? But you're, the point is you're living in the forgiveness of sins. And every time you commit that same sin, it can still be forgiven. And, 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 and if you don't, and if you don't believe that Jesus forgave that sin the first time, well, then repent and confess that too. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yeah, we see we uh, you and I, Pastor Asbury, make use of the one year lectionary, and so we just saw this this past week uh, on the first Sunday of Lent with the gospel reading and Jesus enduring the temptations yes. in the wilderness, mm-hmm. and uh, and he already has the victory over temptation. Yeah. He perfectly did what we uh, are unable to do ourselves, and so the more we come to rest in that comfort, the more we see the victory, not even in our own desire to have that victory, but that Christ already holds it and gives right. us strength. Exactly. Us. Yeah. Now. Uh, getting back to our listeners, and we thank our listener. I didn't get a name on the on the one who sent in these questions, but about this matter of a repetitive sin or um, what you call it, a besetting sin, something like that that you're struggling with. Um, I on some occasions, and it's a careful it's a careful line to walk between pronouncing a free, unconditional absolution. And then maybe a follow-up on accountability or counsel. Do you know what I'm getting at? That if the person is open to it and would be helped with some accountability and with maybe some guidance or counsel. Maybe call it pastoral conversation. Yeah, speak to that, Randy. Sometimes you can, after you go through the confession absolution, 
Um, and, and in fact, the, the right you mentioned from Lutheran Service Book has a, a little red line in there saying uh, that the pastor may uh, give passages or something like that for comfort. Additional scripture. Uh, additional scripture for a comfort or, or say a prayer of thanksgiving. Well, there's always time for the pastor to engage in conversation. Well, let's talk about uh, that sin of yours you're wrestling with, I don't know, let's say alcoholism or or uh, cheating on your wife, whatever the case may be. Pornography, same-sex attraction, you name it. Let's talk about it. How can I, the pastor, help you? Uh, how, how can we work through this together? Because God's Word also has something to say about how we live our lives uh, as a result of living in God's forgiveness. All right? Okay, what does Scripture say? Okay, how can we put this into practice? What kinds of things? And, and I think that's the accountability you're getting yeah, at yeah. here of, okay, pastor, can you help me... Uh, not look at pornography on the internet. Okay, are you more susceptible like yeah. late at night? Late or something? at night when you're by yourself. Uh, what about getting a blocker on your uh, computer at home or something like that? Uh, all these kinds of practical things. Pastoral conversation is a good place to take care of that. But I'd say after the confession and absolution, that make clear. that distinction. We're, and, and we also need to clarify this: we're not giving them penance. We're not saying, okay, then go do this, and then you'll be forgiven. No, we're forgiving them first, and then we're saying, okay, here are some practical, down-to-earth, nuts-and-bolts things that you may find helpful. And let's keep praying about it. Let's keep talking about it. Keep coming to church. Keep receiving the other gifts that Jesus gives you. I mean, it's a whole package deal on something like that. Uh, In the time we have remaining, we've got just a few minutes. Let me at least read paragraphs 60 through 62. Concerning, uh, we did 60, how about 61 and 62? Excommunication is also pronounced against the openly wicked and the haters of the sacraments. These things are done both according to the gospel and according to the old canons, with uh, one end there in the middle. A fixed time for confession is not prescribed because all are not ready in the same way at the same time. Yet if all were to come at the same time, they could not be heard and instructed in order. The old canons and fathers do not appoint a fixed time. The canon speaks only in this way, quote, If any enter the church and be found never to commune, let them be taught that if they do not commune, they come to repentance. If they commune, if they wish to be regarded as Christians, let them not be thrown out. If they fail to do so, let them be excommunicated. Christ and Paul Say, uh, say that those who eat unworthily eat judgment to themselves, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. So the pastors do not force those who are not qualified to use the sacraments. Well, if absolution is not, if private confession is not used much in our churches, I would say excommunication is even more rarely used, wouldn't you say? Much less. Only yes. once or twice maybe in my whole adult life and in my ministry have we actually excommunicate anybody uh, in in a parish that I've served. You know what I see happen more often in my shorter ministry is that people tend to excommunicate themselves. Yeah. And and this, uh, of course, increases the need for pastoral care to go and seek them out and, and try to, to restore them in faith and trust in Christ to bring them in repentance. But a lot of times uh, I, I've recognized that people recognize what they're doing is wrong and they, they, whether you say anything about it or not, they feel the judgment of God. Yeah. And so they, um, they excommunicate themselves. They just stop coming. Yeah. Well, he says and, those who never commune 
yeah. ought to be excommunicated. So, right. well, we try to deal gently with people and to bring them back into the fold. And so, listeners, as we wrap up today's episode of uh, Concord Matters, I encourage you to go to church. And you, this is a great time for it. We have Most churches have the extra midweek Lenten services. This is a very appropriate time, timely, for a private confession. And uh, your pastor would be glad to hear you. He loves you. He isn't going to chew you up and spit you out. He wants to give you the gospel of Christ. So that's the that's the comfort and that's the rest we have in our Savior, Jesus. Thank you to Randy Asbury and Sean Smith. And you've been listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO.